In one moment, I realized that my entire professional life had changed just irreversibly. Yeah. There was no way back. There was no place to go. Because, of course, where there's smoke, there's fire. Um, yeah. You know, and there's these accusations stick. And, yes. of course, to my mind, I had been the only academic formally blacklisted. Welcome to the Free Speech Nation podcast with me, Andrew Doyle. Today, I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Joe Phoenix. Joe is a criminologist who currently works at the University of Reading and was formerly at the Open University, uh, where there was a bit of trouble because of Joe's criticism of the GRA, the Gender Recognition Act. We discussed that and much, much more in today's podcast. I hope you enjoy it. So, Joe, all of the problems that you've had started back in 2018. And I think for the benefit of people listening to this, it would be really great if you could talk us through precisely what happened to you from the start. Yeah, certainly. Uh, it's a bit of a torturous story. So if I kind of wander off, just bring me back. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, or speed me up if I get too boring. Um so in 2018, I became aware of the Gender Recognition Act consultation. Yes. Um, and I, to be perfectly frank with you, I can't even remember how I became aware of it. Um, but I became aware of it. Uh, I also became aware of discussions that were taking place on Twitter around it. Um, I uh, I think Kathleen Stock contacted me around that time period as well. Yes. Uh, and I, I, I believe the reason why, it's difficult, isn't it, to remember exactly all of these of things. Of course. But I think the reason why is that I'd spent at that point uh, just over 20 years doing research on what people call sometimes gender-based violence or yes. sex-based violence. But, you know, I'd done an awful lot of work around uh, sexual exploitation, rape, prostitution. So these things that happen to women, yes. um, if you know what I mean, at the hands of men. Um, and I'd also spent a great deal of time doing research about how some of the categories of people that we try and help, uh, sometimes those categories are, are a both and rather than an either or. Yeah. Is it, is important to it. So if you think about uh, sex workers or, or prostitute women, we see them both as vulnerable, but also as offenders. Yes, I see. Right. Um, or sexually exploited children the same way or youth justice, which I've done a lot of work the same way, vulnerable and yet also troubling in one way or another. So for me, the GRA kind of um, the, 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 the consultation uh, set off my little spidey sense, for lack of better words, about, oh, this is going to be another one of those situations when professionals and organizations are going to have to figure out how to deal with a contradiction. You know? Yes. Uh, that both to give trans individuals rights to be identified um, or to and to self-identify, but how does that then square with the rights of, of women and sex-based women, um, yes. if you know what I mean. So it was around that time period, 2018, Kathleen uh, contacted me and I agreed to sign the two now infamous letters. Yes. <laughs> um, we've, we've heard about this because of what happened to Kathleen Stock, which is widely publicized. Yeah, yeah. And just about everybody who signed those letters. It wasn't just Kathleen. No. Um, I mean, Kathleen's case is extraordinary. Um, yes. We'll probably get on to that. But, but do you want to just outline what the letters were saying? Yeah. In a nutshell? Um, yes. One of the letters basically accused Stonewall of, of overreaching, in mm. effect, uh, and of jeopardizing academic freedom in universities. Yes. Right. And in fact, both of them. Both of them more or less said that. Yes. Uh, it wasn't a direct uh, attack, if you like, on trans people. Um, and it wasn't even a direct attack on the GRA consultations that were going on. Mm. It was all about Stonewall at that point. Yes. Right. And the fact that Stonewall was producing a chilling effect in universities with their demands for no debate. Yeah. And of course, Stonewall has 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 had so much influence because of their various diversity workplace training schemes that they Absolutely. are throughout the higher education sector. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the public sector. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, let's 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 extend that. Um, so I signed these letters. Now, the one that uh, I I one hundred percent felt happy signing mm. was the one talking about um, the chilling effect on academic freedom. Yeah, that is the freedom. For us to research and think in the manner that we w that we wish to, yes. Or rather, I'll back up a little bit. Academic freedom is actually an obligation of the university to enable us to think and research in the way that we need to, yes, and that's relevant course. to our 
our our subject. And for me, I kept thinking the same thing. Well, how do I then do a piece of research on childhood sexual exploitation or on sex work um, where I can't define women in a biological way? Yes. Yeah. yeah. How how yeah. how can I do my research um, then? Uh, given that, you know, the thing I am most interested in, things like that, is the injustice and the lack of access that women, you know, as as in, you know, females have yes. uh, to equal protection by the law. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So I was very happy to sign that. Um, and and not much happened, uh, to be honest. Or so I oh, thought. Oh, really? Well, not for a while. <laughs> <laughs> or so I yeah. thought. Um what I didn't realize is that this uh, tripped off alarms left, right, and center all over the university that I was working at at that point, which right. was the Open University. Um, I have learned laterally that uh, the fact that I signed that letter and another colleague of mine, um, John Pike, who's the philosopher who does stuff around sports, yes. he also signed those letters. Apparently, that triggered off a set of complaints being made to our dean. Yes. In universities, deans are like your ultimate line manager. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and I I don't know the nature of those complaints. I've never seen it. Right. But, I mean, it, aren't those kind of complaints proving the point that you're making in the letter, which is to do with <laughs> academic freedom? And if people suddenly pile on and say, you know, you can't have the freedom to discuss this, and it's a contradiction, surely. Yeah, an absolute contradiction. Um, I mean, you know, it, it's a paradox yes. is what it is. So, you know, it's either the case that they don't understand, the people who are making complaints don't understand the first thing about the law. Yeah. Or they're cavalier to the law um, or um, in not understanding academic freedom, they're yep. quite happy to push that to one side and put something else in. So once you had been sort of identified as, as uh, I suppose, guilty of wrong think, mm -hmm. <laughs> for want of a better phrase, then we, then you have this event at Essex University. One more step in between that. There's a step between that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that those two letters did is it enabled somebody at another university, I believe it was Goldsmiths, mm -hmm. uh, to create something called the Turf List. Right, and we should clarify, people, TERF is trans-exclusionary no radical right, feminist. feminist. Yeah. So, um, so, so this is someone who th thinks that women's rights, that in order to protect women's rights, we must have a recognition of the difference, biological biological difference between men and women. Yeah. That would be a fair way to describe it. Uh, more than fair. I think that's a very, very adequate way to describe right. it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so there was a TERF list drawn up from those letters. Now, yes. the individual um, who, you know, I, I won't name, um, but the individual who constructed the turf list basically uh, is a trans activist and an academic. That turf list made its way far and wide, and the instruction was basically to rake over the coals anyone that was on that list. And do they call it the turf list themselves, or is this something that has been? Yeah, no, they call it the turf list because because to to some of the more militant activists, the word turf is the equivalent of the word witch, isn't it? Yeah. And, it and so they've effectively drawn up this this list and lists in history of this kind and never <laughs> never end well, does it? No, that, it never ends. So, well, it doesn't end well in modern democracies. Let's put no, it that way. No, um, you know. So you've been identified as one of as a as a persona non grata. You're yep. on the list. Yep, um, I'm on the list. And this has been circulated pretty widely. Yeah, far and wide across all sorts of universities. So okay. if you remember the story, uh, I mean, I, I believe that Kathleen was pretty much, you know, witch number one on the top of the right. list. She's but the Grand High Witch. Yeah, but <laughs> Selena Scott was on it. Uh, you know, uh, Rosa Freeman was on it. All yes. of the names that we now know as being very familiar yes. were on that list. Okay. Okay, so, th so that list is circulated. Um, I'll come back to how it's circulated uh, in a little bit when we talk about my research, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so that list was circulated. And then... Um, because I was getting quite vexed, shall we say, about this question of academic freedom, mm. I offered to give a talk uh, for Women's Place UK, uh, and that was in the October, I'm pretty sure it was the October of 2018. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the dates are a bit of a muddle, to be yes, perfectly yeah. frank with you. Um, but I agreed to give a talk to Women's Place, or for Women's Place UK. This was in Leicester. And the talk I gave was 20 minutes on uh, the issue to do with trans imprisonment. Right. Do you know what I mean? Where to place transgender prisoners. And this is, of course, very important because, um, you know, this distinction between male and female is very important when it comes to prison accommodation for obvious reasons. Yes. Uh, women in prison are disproportionately vulnerable. Yep. Uh, have experienced domestic yep. abuse, that kind of thing. Yep. And, and up to 80% of women in female prisons have experienced 
domestic violence, nearly 60% have had some sort of sexual abuse in their past. Yes. So, so it matters then if someone hugely. is identifying as, yeah. as, as female. I mean, that's that's the, I mean, that's one thing that I think people need to understand is that you're not talking about people's rights to identify however they like, but yeah. that it opens up the potential for exploitation. Well, let, let me let me frame it for you slightly differently, yeah. right? Because that's certainly the activist line. Now, yes. there's an academic line that we need to pursue here. Yes. Uh, when you incarcerate anybody, when a when a modern democracy imprisons anybody, it has a responsibility to ensure their safety and security yes. at the organizational level. We have had sex segregated prison placement policies for a very long time, since Elizabeth Fry, right, in the Victorian yeah. time period, yeah. partly because of the, the well-known problems about what's going to happen if you put convicted sex offenders in a prison with females, right? It's, I mean, it's a bit of a no-brainer. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's, it's not, you know, we're not talking about just anybody. Mm. You know, these, these are people who have convictions. Yeah. Um, okay, so, you know, we've got, we've got that issue. And to me, that was really my entry into all of this. It was like, uh, this is a problem. To have self-identification mm -hmm. in the context of prisons is a problem. And as a criminologist, you are in a strong position to talk about this stuff, right? This is Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And as a criminologist who spent most of my life talking about, you know, women's unequal access to justice, yes. which includes not having equal protections inside a prison. Yes. Yeah. So this is the talk you gave at Leicester. This yes. Is a, okay. And what, what happened then? Uh, well, what happened after that was um, pretty much the hit the fan. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. You are allowed to say whatever you like. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, the pretty much hit the fan. Um, okay. Again, the strange thing was, at the time, I did not know what was going on. So right? you, you were giving this talk on the assumption that... It, this was something that was okay to talk about, okay yeah. to discuss, quite important to discuss. Yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of had an inkling that it might cause a problem at work yeah. because, you know, I'd had one or two discussions with people at work slightly earlier over a, a, a you know, your your listeners can look this up if it's of interest to them, but um, the Open University and the Center for Crime and Justice Studies were about a year previously going to host a conference together. Yeah, that conference got cancelled amongst uh, accusations that the CEO of uh, the CCJS was a transphobe. One Richard Garside, who on International Women's Day tweeted, "Happy Human Female Day." Um, right. So and that was used as evidence. Yeah, that but. that he was transphobic. Now, the people okay. who organized that conference, uh, my colleagues at the OU will tell you that's not why they canceled the conference. Okay. But but this made you think potentially there's a, there's it's it's a you know a contentious issue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What what kind of reactions happened? I mean, when you say things kicked off, what 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 sort of specific things happened? Well, in my day-to-day -day life, it was cavernous silence. Okay. Right. From which, colleagues. Yeah, which is unusual, right? Normally, academics have a lot to say to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was just cavernous silence. Now, in the background, again, I didn't realize, but complaints were being made to my dean um, yeah. about me. And then we move forward in time. So that was about the October, I think, I don't know, whenever the date was. It was earlier in the year. Um, and, uh, uh, a colleague of mine from uh, Canada, from a, a, a university in Newfoundland, mm -hmm. asked me to take part in a research project that she was doing, looking at some of the issues uh, around uh, the well-being and training of prison officers in the federal Canadian prison system. Uh, and she brought me on board specifically to analyze some of the stuff about gender, right? And particularly to analyze some of the, the complexities that prison officers were talking to her about, about um, uh, working with or incarcerating or, you know, being responsible for transgender prisoners in the Canadian federal system, which yes. had introduced self-identification. Right. right. So I, I truggle off to, to Newfoundland. I spend a month out there. I give a, a, a talk on, you know, some of the complexities of trans rights in the prison context. Um, Fairly moderate stuff, you know, just we yeah. need to think about this, people. Um, I was scheduled to give the same talk at Essex University in the December, right? Uh, it went off in Canada without a problem. In fact, I had some great comments from colleagues over there. Yeah. Uh, I come over here as far as I'm, come back rather, uh, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm just doing my work and about to go give a talk in Essex University. Yes. Right? That was something like December the 5th. Um, Nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. On the morning the, of the talk, 
um, I was contacted by someone at Essex University that said things are kicking off, right? And I was like, what do you mean things are kicking off? And they said, uh, there's, there's a lot of noise on Twitter at the moment about a well-known transphobe coming to give a talk at Essex University. That would be me. Right. Yeah. Um, now, I assumed that uh, Essex, that somebody in Essex had the turf list. Yes. Right? And yes. that that's how people thought and why people thought that I was a well-known transphobe. Because at this point, I hadn't, apart from the WPUK talk, I hadn't published anything or said yes. anything in the UK. Um, so I just kind of put it down to that, didn't think much of it. But I did say to the organizers at Essex, uh, how are you going to ensure the safety and security of me, but also anyone who wants to come and listen to me? Yeah. You yeah. know, how are you going to make sure that they can get into the room free and, you know, without harassment? And how are you going to make sure that there isn't going to be a noisy protest, et cetera, et cetera, et yeah. cetera? Anyway, things from what I understand and from what the Reindorf Report uh, published uh, two years later, things escalated very quickly at Essex University on that morning. Yeah. And by mid-morning, there was a poster circulating around the university uh, with, you know, the, that well-known meme uh, of somebody, a cartoon figure holding a gun, yes. um, pointed at the reader saying, shut the f*** up, turf." on one side and then the other side, uh, me and a list of all of my supposed transphobic crimes. Um, and that's been used in various universities. I've seen that more than once. And it's, it's a very violent image of, for obvious reasons. Uh, uh, it, it's a hideous image. Yes. You know, and, and anyone who sits there and goes, ha, 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 it was just a cartoon, it's just a joke. Those things aren't jokes. No. Do, do you know what I mean? Those, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, they aren't jokes. Guns aren't jokes. And and particularly for someone like me. So if we can kind of back up a little bit, you know, I, 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 I went to the OU because I am such a firm believer in adult education, mm -hmm. right? In people's second chances yeah. and in the democratization of knowledge. Now, I believe that because I am a beneficiary of that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I had a troubled past and I grew up in Texas. Um, you know, I was, I was in the school when they had one of the first school shootings in Texas. Guns, to me, are nothing but violent and you yeah. can't have a cartoon about them. Um, you know, I have been the subject myself. It's, you know, I've, I've said it, it's out there in the public domain. Uh, I was raped by two, two people um, when I was only 15 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, and so my past was very troubled and very punctuated by male violence. Yes. Yeah. And of course, if you come from that sort of past, uh, to, to hear about a poster that has shut up turf and yeah. a gun on it you know you know full well it's hard-coded in women like me with an image of yourself yeah i mean the I mean, cartoon was one side but there was a picture of me and then text on the other i mean how do you even psychologically deal with that the, 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 you're being accused of something you're not <laughs> but that's the first thing yeah you know you're not someone who believes that trans people shouldn't have equal rights gosh no 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 you know it's and you've nothing you've ever written or said would even imply that so this is these are groups of activists who are indulging in a fantasy, but it's a dangerous fantasy. Very dangerous. Very dangerous. And I'll tell you for why. Because what you never know is who amongst the the audience of those posters mm. actually has some very serious or profound mental health issues. Yeah. You never know uh, if that's going to tip somebody over the edge. So when this happened to you then, this mm. is at Essex University, did the how did the university react ultimately? Uh, Essex University or the yes, OU? Yes, Essex. Okay, so things escalated. Uh, they, uh, it was suggested that because I couldn't have any assurances about safety and security, and because students were threatening to barricade the room in mm. which I was, I was going to speak, uh, the university decided to postpone the right. event. Right. However, a week later, the department that invited me—it was the Department of Sociology. Um, they had an extraordinary meeting, as in an extraordinary meeting, yeah. uh, which probably was extraordinary in all sorts of regards, um, in which they politically vetted me. They went through my Twitter feed. They went through my Facebook feeds. Uh, they had a discussion about what politics I have, whether or not I was a transphobe. And uh, the, they listened to some trans students talking mm. about how unsafe they would feel if I was even on the campus. And the result of that meeting was that the head of department phoned me and said, you are not welcome at Essex ever. So It I seems was... like an astonishing uh, backwards way of looking at things. I mean, you're not the one sending leaflets with images of guns telling people to shut up. 
No. You're not, you know, you're not the one who's threatening anyone. No. And yet you're the one who is deemed making others unsafe. Yeah. It's completely backwards. Yeah. And also, I mean, you know, let's let's kind of put some flesh on the bones here. I'm a middle-aged, slightly dumpy, disabled woman. Um, the only kind of threat that I can offer is, you know, a rapier-like wit. <laughs> that's that's about it. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, I'd, I'm not sure how I can be threatening. Anyway, so they cancelled me, and I absolutely, my world fell apart that day. And I don't mean it in a kind of like, I was a victim. I mean, in one moment, I realized that my entire professional life had changed just irreversibly. Yeah. There was no way back. There was no place to go because of course where there's smoke there's fire um yeah. you know and there's these accusations stick and yes. of course to my mind i had been the only academic formally blacklisted right right not just cancelled blacklisted yes. from a uk university yes. um you know and and i didn't know what to, i didn't know and to be perfectly frank i didn't know what to do with it did you did you speak to anyone at the ou to try and see what yes, what I, did. Done there, what, yes what I did yes i did um i had a very long conversation with a colleague who kept trying to insist that uh, trans individuals were the most marginalized group of people um on the planet and that i needed to recognize the pains and difficulties that transgendered individuals faced. I kept saying I did, <laughs> yeah. you know, that that wasn't the point, that this was about academic freedom. It was about freedom of speech. It's about professional ethics. It's about what it is to be an academic and what it is to do academia. And if we're, if we're moving into a world where we're censuring people on the grounds of their supposed politics, yeah. well, where on earth does that end? Yes. Do you know what I mean? Who becomes the judges? And then who judges the judges after that? Because you can be guaranteed that that will happen. Because when, when the NUS initiated their no-platforming idea back in the 70s, it was specifically to do with fascism. It was about fascists. Indeed. But now I hear feminists called fascists and therefore the same policies applied yeah. to them. But they're not fascists. They're the no. opposite. Yeah. So, so I mean, that's that's how it feels as though it's... It, 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 it's, it's almost impossible to deal with because the words have been redefined to yeah. such an extent. And, you know, again, anyone who knows the tactics of, of male violence will recognize this sort of, I mean, we call it gaslighting, don't we? Yes. Um, gaslighting is a very imprecise term. Mm -hmm. But to be convinced that what you know is not what you know, yeah. uh, it becomes quite a crazy-making place. So at that point, you know, I literally felt like I had gone through a looking glass and I thought, well, how on earth could this happen to me, who has, and I don't mean it arrogantly, but who has built up a, a two decades long reputation for being moderate, for yes. doing a both and analysis, for actually sticking up for the rights of people who, you know, need to have a voice out there. And I yes. was just like, how did this happen? So I, I looked to my colleagues for support, you know, across the OU. And what I found was even more cavernous silence. Silence is an interesting thing, um, and I've, I've been thinking about this in relation to the research that I've been doing because it's not just me who's been met with silence. When we talk about the research, it's part of this, for lack of better words, a technology of censure mm -hmm. that goes on. So you say something to someone like this. this is, these are the things that I said in those days after Essex cancelled me. But don't you understand? I've been cancelled. That's unlawful. And they'll go, Right. Yes. It's not an acknowledgement. It's not a, a disagreement. It's... But it's not support. <laughs> oh, God, no. And it's not <laughs> recognition of your position. Is it out of fear? No. You don't think? No, I, I know it's not. Um, I've had a lot of time to think about this. Mm. And it's like, uh, how do you starve the room of oxygen? Okay. That's what it is. You understand why I say that, though, simply that there are so many people who are who just don't want to be seen to participate in this discussion at all. Well, their silence is different. Right. Yeah, because there's different qualities of silence, yes. right? So you can get the dead bat face. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how do you describe that, you yeah. know, apart from yeah, just this? But then there are other people that you say, this happened and it's wrong, and they go, yes. Yeah, and you can see the difference, can't you? Yeah. yeah. It's very clear. One of them is self-preservation. Yep. And the other is, is, is almost participating in the onslaught. Yeah. In a very passive-aggressive way. Oh, exceptionally. So we had, um, we had, in between all of that, there was something that happened, and I, I forgot to mention it. There was one thing that happened after the WPUK talk. Yeah. Um, 
a manager with that, within the Open University uh, asked me to uh, go in and have a chat with them. Um, that chat turned out being a discussion about uh, how I was upsetting the apple cart, for okay. lack of better words, by going public about, we're not going public. I think the point of that discussion was uh, that the person was upset that I had suggested that academic freedom was called into question. The irony here is, right. I'm sorry, I'm just going to have to get through this without yeah. actually laughing because the irony is so ironic. Mm. Um, yeah, that I that I I had called the OU's reputation into question by suggesting that academic freedom uh, could be curtailed by Stonewall. Right. Right, by giving a talk that was controversial without asking all of my colleagues right, yeah, first, yeah. Uh, um, ensuring that they were okay with me doing it. And that, yeah. I mean, it proves your point. This is in, <laughs> yeah, insane. Yeah. And then, um, then it was suggested uh, that I was, this is the, the famous one that made its way around crowd justice. I was the racist uncle sitting at the Christmas dinner table. Who said that about you? It was a manager is all I can say. A manager at the Open University said yes. you were like the racist uncle. Cool. Weren't you also compared to a Holocaust denier? or, or? Uh, yeah, Gender critical feminists within the OU yeah, were compared to Holocaust denial. That was in, in a set of union meetings Yes, uh, when myself and John Pike, who latterly formed the Open University Gender Critical Research Network, were arguing for uh, the union to support its own measures on academic freedom. And right. at one point, one of the union members uh, compared us to Holocaust deniers. And we can see what the strategy is there. If you, if you are conflated with those those kinds of people, then people will say, well, there's no need to talk to that person because that person is is beyond yeah. the, the, the realms of reasonable discussion. No, that's right. So then we fast forward into time. Uh, you know, the Essex event happened mm. and I was told under no uncertain terms that it would upset my colleagues if I talked about Essex. Right. Right. Even though I was the subject of an unlawful cancellation and black. I mean, latterly, we found out it was unlawful. Yes. Um, and Essex University even apologized because it was unlawful. Yes. <laughs> but didn't they retract their apology? Oh, it? yeah, yeah. I want to write a play called The Apologist. <laughs> <laughs> In which, yeah, they, the, well, they, they retracted... They didn't retract the apology. Rosa Freeman and myself will say that they retracted the apology. Yes. Uh, the, the, the fact of it is that they then apologized to the trans, non-binary, and LGBT community for apologizing to Rosa and I during Pride Month. Here's the kicker. I'm a lesbian. Right. right? So you that was my month That's too. your community, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah. they apologized for the apology. Yep. And they were apologizing partly to the people they'd initially apologized to. Yep. I mean, it's very complex. Really. It's... <laughs> But it's 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 maddening. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I laugh at the moment now because I've been living this life for so many years, and to be able to say to people, "Yeah, it's it is as crazy as it sounds like it is." Um, but, it's so easy to laugh about it, and then we forget about the human cost here, because you know, because in the midst of it all, this affected your health, didn't it? This, this... oh my god, yeah, 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 yeah. No, by the time we got to. Because um, I keep pushing away, you know, I, 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 I've said to you, I had a troubled background. One of the things that I am is determined because mm. everything I have, I've built for myself. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and, I, and I stand up to bullies. Um, even though I'm short, I stand up to bullies. Yeah. And, you know, I could feel bullying when it was happening. Um, and I mean, I hate calling it bullying. But when people tell me to be quiet. Yes. I don't comply. I'm paid to talk. That is my job. I'm paid to to think, to write, to research, to talk. And if I have my fellow colleagues who are fellow employees telling me not to do my job, then I will keep pushing, right? So it's just as simple as that. Uh, personal costs. So we launched, John and I um, and a few others at the Open University decided uh, once the Maya Forstadter ruling came out, Essex had apologized. The Meyer Forstadter ruling. And just to clarify, this is the, the ruling that confirms that, in fact, the belief in biological sex differences is a protected belief by law. Yeah. As, as though that were necessary, but there we go. Well, um, what I like to say is worthy of respect in a democratic society. Yes. And the reason I like to say it's worthy of respect in a democratic society is that we keep forgetting that we are a democratic society. Yes. And one of the hallmarks of being a democratic society is that we abide by the rule of law. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this is where it all comes back to 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 the tactics of activists, which I think are beyond law. I yeah. mean, you know, in some instances outright illegal. Yeah. In some instances just unlawful. Yes. Um, and and you know, and this is why so many of us, people like myself, are actually going to the law to try and get some clarity about this because the leaders in 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 our places of work, particularly universities, aren't taking responsibility. Well, because during the Essex uh, case, mm. it was said um, that Stonewall had been representing the law as they wished it to be, not Quite. as it was. Quite. That was the accusation that was, I think had come from... Aqua Reindorf. Aqua Reindorf, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Aqua Reindorf, who is in, in my book a shero, right? A total shero yeah. for what she did. Yeah. Because that Reindorf review is so clear. And this was an assessment of how Essex yeah. had handled... Yeah. That that situation with you. And, yeah, and, and I'll just I'll just digress for a tiny bit because yeah. you know the thing about Essex when that happened, I trusted university processes. So the university came to me and said, "We're going to have a review of all of this. We're going to get an external barrister in. We're going to find out what happened, and then when we find out what happened, we're going to stop it from ever happening again." Yeah, that was the the vice chancellor Anthony Forster who said that to me, and I was like, "Well, I used to work with the guy a long time ago in Durham." Um, so, you know, I'll trust him and I'll trust the process. I trust universities. Yeah. Well, more for me. Right. More for me. Um, I'm not so trusting anymore. So, um, yeah, my health. We launched the OUGCRN. Uh, and at that point, my mother had passed away something like five weeks earlier. Um, I was five weeks, maybe she passed away like eight weeks earlier. I was about four weeks having had my spine fused, right? So I wasn't well myself. Yeah, yeah. You had these existing problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, kind of once a year surgery. Yes. Um, and uh, we launched the OUGCRN and holy <laughs> I have never known anything like that. Um, uh, we, meaning John, myself, and the other members of the, the, the research network, were engulfed in a frenzy. Mm. Um, on Twitter, there was all sorts of vile Twitters that even even Twitter took down. Yeah. Right? That's how bad so, they so were. So threatening. Threatening. Yeah. 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 Um, they were, you know, kind of death threats and just violent images. And mm. it, do you know what I mean? Just vile, vile, vile stuff. Yeah. Um, and of course, uh, the activists, the trans activists that work at the Open University, this network of people who, you know, had been calling us Holocaust deniers, who had been complaining to the dean every time I said anything. So mm. all of this background stuff always going on, never to my face. Right. Never to my face. Yeah. Um, so all of the stuff that was going on in the background they got very, very active. Uh, and within a few days, uh, there was an open letter that was placed on Google Docs um, that basically tagged a, uh, a podcast that I gave to Julian Vigo, Savage Minds, uh, as examples of how transphobic the network was. And that letter was asking for the university to disaffiliate and distance itself from us. So it's not just the more extreme activists on social media who are threatening and and you know behaving in that unlawful way? You've also got colleagues within the Open University, uh, I suppose, um, trying to use official means to have you punished. Yep, um, three hundred and eighty people signed that document. Okay, three hundred and eighty staff members. Right? That's astonishing. Yeah, I mean it, it. It bears. So you've got you're being assailed from all sides here. All sides. Now at that you, point, I broke. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, because you have your existing health issues anyway. Yeah. The death of your mother. Yeah. And then you have this kind of pressure, which I don't think people who haven't been in the eye of that kind of storm really understand no. what that's like. No. And then, of course, you know, um, because of the, the, the long history, you know, over two years of silence and then suddenly this mm. storm. You know, I spent, you know, hours just constantly pinging messages to anyone in senior management who would listen to me, um, quite literally, kind yeah. of like, you know, you've got to do something. These people are, are asking to for us to be discriminated against because, you know, to ask an employer to distance themselves from their own employees yes. is to ask for discrimination. And you didn't get any support at all from anyone uh, I mean, yes and no. It, it, you know, if if uh, you know, some of the senior management did what they could. Yeah. Right. Um, 
they offered to monitor our Twitter feeds, right? And and I was okay with that. Yeah. Um, didn't do anything, no, <laughs> you no. know, in the end, although I think that it, you know, might have possibly had a malign um, output. Yeah, but, yeah. Know, it didn't. So uh, they did that, and there was, you know, kind of fine words. I'm sorry that you're going through this. Yes. Um, but no actual action against these. No. Against, no. No. So it ended up with me making a formal complaint. Okay. Um, a formal grievance. Uh, and that formal grievance was submitted, I think it was at the end of June, maybe yeah. the beginning of July. Yeah. Uh, and by the time I left the OU in December, uh, there had been no progress on that. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, despite the fact that the um, could complaints procedure at the Open University says something like, you know, within 60 days. And yeah. Okay. That there would be an outcome. Of course, it did kind of break the system uh, because what I complained about were the 380 people who signed that letter. Yes. Right. And HR was like, are you actually complaining? You want to name all of them yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, and they all signed it um, yeah. so yes anyway through some negotiation we whittled it down to what looked like the people who were the organizers the ringleaders of, of this okay, okay. yeah um, and then there were two other uh, statements put up on open university servers one is still there yeah. right and the statement uh, asks the university to distance itself from our research so that call for discrimination and uh accuses the OUGCRN of contributing to the climate of violence against trans people. Right. Right. Which Which of course you absolutely you know don't yeah. No. I mean this no. is this is the what's so baffling about the whole thing. Yeah. But that letter is still there. Okay. Um on an open university server. So so why is it that because again and again when I hear about these academics who are harassed for sustained periods of time, people like Anne Henderson mm. in Scotland or, yeah. or Neil Thin at Edinburgh. Yeah. Um and they've done nothing wrong, and it's absolutely palpable that they've done nothing wrong. Um, and yet, the again and again, it's the those in authority are failing to stand up to the bullies, and we will call them bullies. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that now seems to be a pattern. Yeah. That is emerging across across yeah. the country. So why is that? Okay, um, putting my organizational sociology head on, right? Because yeah, yeah. you know, I call myself a criminologist. What I do is organizational sociology. Okay, yeah. So great. So you're perfectly qualified <laughs> to try and help me to understand yeah. what's going on here. Yeah. So you've got you've got I think two countervailing um, forces happening. Mm. You've got a university uh, leadership team who does never get, I mean, they don't, as a matter of course, get involved in the day-to-day -day stuff at departmental level and at research level, Yes, right? They are managing the the huge operation that is herding the butterflies of a university. Yeah, um, That's all fine and dandy. Uh, we have the grievance procedures, which are meant to be there to help uh, individuals work out their conflicts with each other and trust and believe uh, university academics have a lot of conflicts with each other. I'm sure. <laughs> In fact, there's, uh, I think it was uh, Henry Kissinger uh, once said the reason that academic disputes can get so vile is that the 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 stakes are so low. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yes. I mean, it happens. I've been to academic conferences. I know how ugly <laughs> it can get. Yeah, I really can. Um, I mean, I'm laughing because you know one has to take a step back and, and laugh about ourselves. So we've got we've got that set up. Yes. Where the stakes are high, and the stakes are high here, mm. because it is my contention that trans activists are misusing the complaints and grievance procedures and misusing the EDI yes. uh, policies to stifle, right, and yep. to censure and to to stop debate, yep. um, which is a misuse of those policies. Um, university managers, if they break rank and say, yes, you're quite right, you're stifling debate, you're stopping this, they're going to have the 380 people who signed the letter, um, yep. you know, in rebellion, right? in effect. So it's a little bit like breaking, it, it, it's quite literally breaking the system. So if I was a manager, and I have been a manager in universities, at you know, one point I was a dean. Um, if I was a manager, I'd be sitting there going, let's let them all slug it out at grievance level. Yes, yeah, of course. It's much more sensible, much more easy. And only if and when somebody takes us to a court of law yeah. will I actually break cover um, and do anything about this. So it's a sense in which the system will completely collapse if they make the, the morally right choice yeah. here. Yeah. Um, and, and Isn't I think that almost it's, like just hoping it goes away? 
Pretty much, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty yeah. much. But also, it's an expensive one. So if you think about the OU, right? Uh, and this is just the hypothetical here. Mm. Uh, there's myself, John Pike, a few others in the OU GCRM. There are 380 people who signed that that uh, letter. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's say that John and I and the others of the OU actually took the OU to employment tribunal. I mean, yeah. I am, but the others, you know, aren't. Let's say we all do that, and let's say the OU has to pay out for all of us, right? Yeah. Okay, the way employment tribunals work, the maximum payout is like 45,000 pounds, mm-hmm. yeah? 45,000 times three or times four times five, that's chump change yeah, yeah. in comparison to the 380. I see. So it becomes simple mathematics. So it's a numbers game, yeah. Yeah, which is which is awfully cynical. Yeah, uh, on one level, it's awfully cynical. So I think that's one of the 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 failures of leadership. Uh, the other failure of leadership is is not actually being able to do anything because the because Stonewall has been <laughs> writing. Well, I was going to ask: is is has the influence of Stonewall maybe maybe got us to the point where some of these people in management don't actually understand the issues, quite, and they actually maybe have bought into what these radical activists are saying. They're not what these extreme activists are yeah. saying. And and also it's kind of like, oh come on, can't we all just get on? You know? Yes, I yeah. mean academics have always fought. Do you know what I mean? And so on one level, you I can't fault university managers for going, oh, it's just another fight it, between academics. But it's so clearly more than that. Yeah. When when it comes to harassment and death threats and that kind of thing, it's it's so obviously escalated beyond that point. Yeah. Um, and you know the the ability of a manager to understand that in the totality when they're mm. also dealing with you know kind of falling student numbers, student retention budgets, yes. you know kind of uh, UCU strikes and yeah. all the other but, things. But you also have Stonewall there saying to them, and these are these are people who have been taken on board to advise them on these issues, and they are telling them that anyone who disagrees with the uh, Mm. The the uh, the position of the trans activist is a transphobe and hateful. Yeah, I mean that's come straight from Stone. They, they routinely yeah. routinely say any criticism of yep. their position is hate. Yeah, so and then and then how do you deal with it if you've chased the Stonewall badge? Yeah, for ten years. Yeah, yeah. You know, and what does it look like? You know, I mean, I I have been party to conversations of senior managers at universities, not just at the OU, where people have said, "Yeah, I'll wait till someone else." Yeah. You know, we don't want to be the first right. that, that breaks ranks with Stonewall. We'll wait until the others do. What is your sense of uh, how widespread this problem is, but also to what extent is it a kind of conspiracy of silence insofar as, um, is, it the, is it the case that, because I mean, just looking at your your story, what's happened to you, it feels like very few people could come away and think you're the you're the um, antagonist here. I hope so. Yeah, they will see quite <laughs> clearly. This is yeah. This is a kind of cut and dried situation. Is it just that people across the higher education are too frightened or, or, or don't want to get involved in this? How widespread is it? What's what's going on? Um, well, I mean, great questions. Uh, I have, um, since the horrible parts of the story, yeah. um, and you know, we can come back to those if you want to, uh, I left the Open University. I have added to the case uh, constructive dismissal um, mm-hmm. because I believe that they had no intent. Well, I don't know what their intentions were, but six months into a serious grievance yeah. and with no resolution, and those open letters still up there, you know, it was just like, no, you're you're actually making it impossible for me to work for you. Yeah. So I left. I'm now at Reading University, right in the School of Law, uh, and and the difference couldn't be more. Um, within the first week of my arrival there, uh, I met with. Uh, my my head of school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met with media people. I met with HR people, and they kept saying, "What can we do to help you do your job?" And are they? Do they have Stonewall as well at Reading? Are they... um, I'm not sure. I haven't looked. Right. Um, it's it's but, kind of. I don't want to see that. No, no, no. <laughs> but it feels as though it's just a completely different approach. Uh, totally. To it uh, completely. The vice chancellor uh, Robert Vandenort is very firm and very clear on the need for the university to protect academic freedom. Yes. Uh, of course, Rosa Freeman is in the same law school as myself. Yes. Uh, they've had to, the open, uh, sorry, Reading University have had to deal with this three years ago when, when Rosa was going through the eye of I the see. storm. So that um, might be part of it. That might be part of it. But, you know, Robert Vandenort is very clear. You know, academic freedom is an essential. Your freedom of speech is an essential. And if students want to protest, that's fine too. Yes. But they have to protest within the law. If staff want to protest, 
that's fine. But yes. they have to do it within the law. And you would support that as well. Oh, 100%. We live in a democracy. Um, so you know. it's, it's, it's more than just um, acknowledging the importance of academic freedom. It goes further than that. It's a recognition that this is an example of people trying to curtail academic freedom, which it sounds like the OU haven't taken that step to making that rec recognition. That's correct. Um, I think that, you know, Robert Vandenort and Redding for, I, I think, I mean, I don't know, but I think they've managed to wrap their head around the fact that academic freedom, uh, that, that the, the flip side isn't safety and security. I mm. mean, we've talked about these things, haven't we, in, in public discussion about how did, how did it become, you know, unsafe to have a conversation? Yes, yeah. Yeah, well, I think it feels to me at uh, Reading that academic freedom sits over here, and then that issue about inclusion, safety, and 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 harm, and all of that sits way over there. Yes, you know, and they deal with these things in different ways. They require different solutions and different infrastructures to support each of them. Yes, uh, and they haven't conflated it. Um, right. Okay. Which is unique in my experience so far. Yes. But uh, because I'm there, and because they've said things like, "What do you need to do your job?" Yeah. Um, I felt enabled to start a new research project. Um, and the new research project is looking at accusations of transphobia across the higher education sector. Yes. Right? This is a research project that has had ethical approval. Um, and it's it's a kind of convenience. We call it convenience sampling. You just basically put up a, a flag and say, come and talk to me if this has happened to you. Yes. So I put onto Twitter uh, on January the 12th a notice, please contact me if you've been accused of transphobia and you work in a higher education institution and you're over the age of 18 and in England, yes. right? Yeah, or, yeah. or, you know, the UK. Uh, within an hour, 27 people had contacted me, wow. which isn't a huge amount because within 24 hours, 62 had contacted me. Right. Now, that might not sound like a lot, but it's enough to think this is far more widespread than we would normally think because those 62 people are none of the names that you would normally think of. So these are the people we don't know about. Yeah. So we only hear about the high-profile things such as Kathleen Stock, such as yourself. Yeah. And these are people who, who haven't come forward or... Haven't come forward, yeah. haven't talked about it, whose experiences are, are such that it's left them in a place where they don't want to talk about it. You see, this sounds very valuable to me. In fact, it sounds crucial to me because, uh, you know, I've seen rare instances of actual transphobia, actual hate yep. towards trans people. It's a thing. Yeah, it is. Right? And But when it comes to all of these accusations that you describe of, of academics and, and feminists, I've never seen the word applied appropriately. It's yeah. always been a weapon Yeah. to, to, to say, shut up. Yeah. Uh, and so this feels like it really has to be... Yeah, it has to be studied and looked at the extent of this problem. Yeah, and so we've got, I've got you know, sixty-two people. I've done a, a few in-depth interviews with them. I've had all of them write their story. Yeah, right? yeah. Now, stories are very interesting because if you say to someone, just start. I mean, you'll know you're an interviewer. <laughs> if you say to someone, just start wherever you want to start. Yeah. Um, it gives them carte blanche to to start. Maybe in a place you would never have thought to start. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. So. Um, from that that project, I was going over the data on the way here today, uh, there's like two different distinctions that you have to make to begin with. There are the formal complaints, yeah. and then there is a mass of informal complaints. Right. Now, those informal complaints have as deadly an effect as the formal complaints right. in terms of getting academics to think twice about ever speaking. Yes. Right? And we're talking about academics here. Um the formal complaints and the inf the informal complaints tend to come from colleagues, mm. right? So those are the the the, the ones that uh, you know a colleague will pull you to one side and say something like, "I saw you signed that letter. You might want to be really careful." I understand? Okay, because you yeah. may get an accusation. Yeah, right. Well, meaning though it is, but you know it spooks a few people when you know you have paramilitary protesting going on of at course. Sussex. Yeah. You know, for instance, um, some of the other, the other stuff is snide comments. People have talked to me continuously about the fact that anytime they say something, you know, colleagues will make some snide backwards comments. Yeah. There was one um, one of the respondents who said that uh, every time they'd go into their office, there would be trans flags on the door. Yeah. Of her, you know, on her office door. Someone's put them there. Yeah, words, someone's, yeah, yeah, someone's put them there, which doesn't sound a horrible thing, does it? 
but it's but it's contributing to a climate of conformity. Yeah, a, a kind of like you better you better toe the line here. Yeah, otherwise things are going to get nasty. Yeah, and so I- isolated. That's not a threat. That's not threatening a sticker on the door. But in the context of all this other stuff with leaflets, with guns, death threats, it all adds up, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it all adds up precisely. Um, and then uh, you know there have been people who have uh, said to one one uh, respondent said that someone had said to him, "Well, would you follow the KKK?" simply because they had followed on Twitter WPUK. And again, this is this concept creep where you're you're basically saying that feminists are fascists or yeah. you know, it's the same <laughs> yeah. it's the same thing. Yeah. That's go on, sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say, so that's the informal stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The formal stuff is uh is some of it is toe curling. It's been very difficult to do the research, mainly because, you know, I had a rough time. Kathleen's mm-hmm. had a rough time. There are others out there who have had an equally, if not rougher time, and yeah. they haven't got a voice. They haven't got the support of the, you know, of people. But these, what has triggered these complaints, um, have been. And I, I've made a little list, if you don't mind. Of course, right? Yeah. Uh, tweets. Yeah. If you do a tweet, particularly if you do any tweet that has anything vaguely GC in it. Yes. Right. Anything like anything that. Anything gender critical. Yeah. Or, or, or if if you like a tweet, maybe has that. Uh, yeah. yeah, likes, yeah. follows, tweets, statements, right? Uh, yes. Signing of letters. <laughs> that's, oh, yeah. I mean, that's the big one. Is yeah. signing of any sort of letter or showing any sympathy, empathy for you know WPUK. Yeah, that's been the tagged one. LGB Alliance. Yeah, um, you know that's that's a pretty lethal one if you like or follow or retweet LGB Alliance. Um, and then we've got Facebooks. Uh, but here's the one that blew me away because um, I could have guessed all of that. You know, yeah, yeah, being being on social media is toxic in this place. Um, if you mention in any of your lectures sex and gender as being different, or there being any sort of controversy around sex and gender, or you point out to your colleagues that they have conflated sex and gender. That's enough to trigger complaints. That's a, that's amazing. So, is, does that imply that the goal of the activist is to fully conflate sex and gender, so they so that people do not recognise the difference? Yeah, yeah. Now, there was one case where a group of students. It was in a discipline, not mine, uh, a humanities discipline, um, and uh, a group of students were listening to somebody else, uh, not the lecturer, talk about the complexities of masculinity, toxic masculinities. Um, and in that context, the the person who was talking said that there are some controversies around the sex and gender debate at the moment, right? right? That was all that was said. That was enough to get a deputation of students to the head of the school. Now, the head of the school intervened and said, okay, that's fine. Make your complaints known, or not complaints, but make your um, concerns known to the lecturer. Uh, so... The, the students made their concerns known to the lecturer. The lecturer said, okay, I understand what you're saying, but this is how I see it. And they had a civilized discussion about it, and it was fine. It yeah. didn't go anywhere after yeah. that. you know. But there are other people who've had colleagues complain to their heads, and how a head deals with it makes a fundamental difference. So there's quite yeah. a few managers who have recognized the vexatious claims and said this goes no further. Yes. Uh, there are others who have pulled someone in and said, you need to be careful. I'm not going to pursue this any further, but you need to be careful. Yes. Right. Which has had a censorious effect. Um, and there are uh, a handful who have gone all the way through grievance procedures. So a grievance has been taken out against them for failure to comply with Stonewall's influenced EDI procedures. Yeah. Right. In one case that I spoke to, uh, it went all the way through, and the academic was, quote unquote, disciplined uh, for failing. I don't know for for being transphobic in inverted commas. Yeah, uh, and was asked to apologize to the colleague who had made the grievance. So, is is the answer to this for those in management to recognize when a complaint is clearly driven, when it is retributive, when it is clearly driven by vengeance? I mean, it's, it's it's very clear. I think, <laughs> yeah, and, 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 you know, I, I think it, it's it's yeah, it's not difficult to fathom what's going on there, no. and to take a stand against that, and yeah. to say no, you can't abuse our system, our grievance system, to to yeah. attack someone. Yeah, 
quite literally. Yeah. So it's where, you know, you come back to those both ends. Yeah. It's like, okay, I hear your complaint that you don't like this stuff, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean we actually go through the full disciplinary procedure. Yes. You know, if you have an issue there, sounds like an academic issue to me, why don't you have an academic debate? Because they frame it in the, in terms of we feel unsafe. They yeah. frame it as a health and safety issue. Yeah, we come a, back to this. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And that's the that's the thing to take to be strong enough to say you're not unsafe. Yeah, you're saying that in order to abuse the system. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think maybe a good start would be whenever anyone claims to feel unsafe because of someone else's opinion, we ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> that might be a good start. So there was an individual who went all the way through the grievance procedure as in a grievance had been taken out against that individual on mm -hmm. the grounds of transphobia. I don't know the exact details, um, but the, the, the interesting bit about this story is that uh, at the end of the grievance procedure, the individual was told that that individual had to apologize to the aggrieved party, the person who claimed the accusers yeah the, yeah. the, the accusers yeah um and uh the individual refused right but right? just point blank refused um and i kept saying to this individual well what happened <laughs> and they said nothing no because if you do take the stand if you do stand up against these people it works yeah but also the the grievance procedure itself right um yes. which you know we've talked about it in the past that the the procedure is the punishment but if you ride it all the way through to the end, nothing happens. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? So the, the, that whole thing about the, the, the procedure being the punishment, that is quite literally the case. Because, as I say, if you see it through to its bitter end, yes. no university can compel you to apologize. Yeah. They yeah. cannot compel you to think differently. Um, but that is so. But the idea of the procedure being the punishment is so important because it is so damaging. Yeah. As you have experienced yourself, you know how yeah. life ruining this can be. Yeah. Just yeah, to go yeah. through it. Yeah, and it takes it takes a huge amount of strength. Yeah. Um, you know, not just personal strength. You know, the, if we think about what's happened to me, and we go back to you know those hideous days of of last summer. Um, I don't think I would have got through if it wasn't for the likes of Maya Forstater you know, Shireen Benjamin, any number of individuals mm. whose names we all know, yeah. who when 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 push came to shove, they contacted me. Yeah. Right. And yeah. they were like, you look like you're in trouble. Can we offer you some solidarity? Yeah. You know, and that... So important. Oh, that just, I mean, it pulled me out of a really, really dark place and also gave me some anchoring points. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? When you have somebody saying, no, you're not crazy. Yeah. You know, you might want to think about making a grievance, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, after after I kind of, quote, unquote, broke cover and uh, announced that I was taking the OU to, you know, an employment tribunal, the outpouring of support that came in, in October uh, was was profound. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the experience of the summer up until now has been one of, you know, some of the deepest lows I've had, but some of the most amazing... Um, community, sure. Um, to to have experience. So maybe that. that's the solution: is when you see someone being put through this kind of thing, to lend your support. Yeah. To let let people know that. Yeah. You know, they're not going crazy. They're not. You know, they're not. Yeah. And but, I'd say to those silent people who are afraid, um, come out. Stop being so fearful, because that fear is actually crippling others as well. Um, you know, I would never judge people. Um, and what I'm going to say is kind of contradictory. I don't judge people for being quiet, but then I just wish they wouldn't be so quiet because uh, even just a handshake, a nod, a are you doing okay? I think what you're going through is crazy. Um, you know, just those sorts of comments can be enough to, to, to turn. Well, one of my respondents talked about feeling suicidal mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, you know, that that had carried on for weeks uh, as this individual was going through what they were going through. And you think, well, what would have happened if somebody had just said to that person what you're going through? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, now, you are taking the OU to court, of course. That must be an incredibly costly thing to do. Uh, ridiculously, insanely costly. Uh, at the moment, I have a fantastic legal team. Ben Cooper, who argued my Forstatter's case, is my top QC. Naomi Cunningham from Sex Matters. Um is uh, another uh, barrister. 
uh, and I have Lee Day uh, representing me. It will cost somewhere around £140,000, £150,000. I have a Crowd Justice Fund appeal. At the moment, you know, the generous, generous people have given £102,000. Um, I need another 50000 Not immediately. Yes. Over the next year, but it's really important that that money comes in because uh, this will be a significant case to try and turn around university cultures. So it's not just about what happens to you. No. It's about the knock-on effect of what this, the, the precedent this case will establish. Yeah, because, you know, if the OU is found to have been, you know, not derelict in its duty, I don't mean that in like a legal term, but if it is found that what I experienced was harassment and discrimination mm -hmm. and bullying and constructive dismissal, then university managers are going to have to stand up and yeah. stop this sort of thing happening. And this sort of thing is vexatious complaints of transphobia. That's yes. all it boils down to. And how can people... Uh, if they if they go to Crowd Justice Fund and then just search on my name Phoenix, it'll come you know it'll come up. Or if they look at my Twitter feed, uh, which is at Joe Phoenix One, yes, um, it's pinned on the top of my tweets. Joe Phoenix, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you. This has been the Free Speech Nation podcast with me, Andrew Doyle, and my guest, Joe Phoenix. If you enjoyed the show, please do like and subscribe and make sure you join us next week where we'll have another fabulous guest. See you then.